morning. And good morning to Life Church Online as well. So we are continuing our message series called Breakthrough, and today's message is Breakthrough of the Holy Spirit, part one. We'll be covering this in two weeks. This week we'll be focusing on who the Holy Spirit is, why we need him, and then next week we'll be focusing on what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, sort of a practical nuts and bolts message. So growing up, uh, as far as I can recall, in the evangelical church that I grew up in, uh, I don't recall talking much or hearing much about the Holy Spirit. I mean, I remember us mentioning him when we would say the Apostles' Creed, right? Uh, but um, we called him the Holy Ghost. Um, it wasn't until I started attending more of a charismatic church that I started learning more about who this Holy Spirit is. Now, if I'm honest, and I'm always going to err on the side of honesty, uh, at first I was a little weirded out by those charismatics. Ah, any of you relate to that? So the church I grew up in, uh, you know, there was choirs, organs, we dressed up for church, we would stand to sing a hymn, then we would sit down, like um, when I started attending a church where they were a little bit more demonstrative in worship, you know, raising their hands, moving around, right? Uh, frankly, it made me feel a little uncomfortable. And uh, sometimes I would go to like a class or a small group and uh, like they'd be praying for me and like they'd, they'd like touch me. I was like, like, like putting their hands on me. I'm like, okay. Or sometimes in those settings I'd hear somebody like mumbling something under their breath when they were praying. And I was like, what is that that they're saying? So I remember the first, about the first six months, my wife and I attended that church. I had what I call, and I'm just, I'm just being honest, I had what I call my cult radar on. <laughs> I was just waiting for something weird enough to happen where I went, okay, we're out of here. The thing that kept me coming back, though, um, was the preaching. I felt like it was pretty solid. It was practical. I think the thing that kept my wife coming back was the worship. God was just really working on her heart uh, in the worship. Also, I got the sense that these people in this church genuinely loved the Lord and they were really trying to follow him. They were authentic. They were transparent. They didn't pretend like they had it all together. They were just trying to follow Jesus. Also, regarding the Holy Spirit stuff, I didn't get the sense that these people were like trying to hype anything. They weren't trying to pretend something was going on when it wasn't. They were just trying to be open to the movement and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Naturally supernatural. Fortunately, I hung out long enough that eventually um, I experienced the Holy Spirit for myself and then I couldn't deny that he was real. God absolutely did a transformative 
work in my heart regarding my view of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I went from one end of the spectrum to the other, from absolute skeptic, like literally I was the guy in the back of the room crossing his arms like this and thinking that this was a cult, to someone who longs to see more of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love helping people experience the Holy Spirit for the first time and then equipping them to do Holy Spirit ministry. It is ironic how God does that. One of my favorite things I love to see is someone who was either entirely unchurched or just had never experienced the Holy Spirit for themselves before, experience him for the first time. There, there is no learned behavior. There is no religiousness. They don't even have language to describe what it is that they're experiencing. It's, it's like this beautiful thing. So we're going to tackle the question today, who is the Holy Spirit? And I apologize if, if it seems like I'm going through this pretty fast. I mean, I could probably spend 10 sermons answering this question, who is the Holy Spirit? Right? I also want to give you a heads up. We're going to be looking at um, quite a bit of scripture that te- will teach us about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does. I'm a big fan of scripture, right? And I like to provide scriptural support, evidence of the things that I'm saying. So I often have a lot of scriptures in my messages, okay? So the Holy Spirit, all right? The Holy Spirit, he's not a ghost. He's not a force. He's a person, Okay? He's as much God as the other members of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son. Right? In the original Greek New Testament, he's sometimes called parakletos, or in English, paraclete. It, it's someone who comes alongside to help. A comforter, an encourager, an advocate, a counselor. Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, right? Before I was a Christian, it was a whole lot easier to sin. Like, in many ways, I didn't even have a conscience. I wouldn't even give it a second thought. Now it's way harder, right? Like, I feel it. I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also a source of revelation, of wisdom, and power. He guides us into truth, into God's truth. I'll talk next week uh, about how practically Holy Spirit does this. Holy Spirit also gives us spiritual gifts whose purpose is for the building up of the church. I could probably spend six sermons unpacking that one. Uh, But next week, I will take some time to unpack some of the more supernatural spiritual gifts that you may not be familiar with, like prophecy, healing, discerning of spirits, tongues, and so on. The Holy Spirit, too, is a seal in the lives of believers, our mark that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He intercedes on our behalf 
He molds us, he shapes us to become more holy, more like Jesus. The technical term is sanctification. You may have heard that word. It's from the Latin word sanctus, meaning holy. It is not willpower that makes us holy. It is Holy Spirit power. Okay? It is not an outside process, an outside-in process of legalism. Right? I can't do this. I can't do that. I need to do more of this. I need to do more of that. Instead, it is an inside-out process. Okay? As we become more dependent on the Holy Spirit, as we submit to his leading, as we learn to hear his voice, he changes us from the inside out. Okay? We find that it's much easier to resist temptation. We find that it's easier to do good. Holy Spirit is changing our hearts. He's changing our desires. He's literally changing what we are passionate about. Also, Holy Spirit helps us produce more of the fruit of the Spirit, right? I mentioned this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay? Some people see that list as prescriptive, right? I have to work harder to be more loving. I have to work harder to be more patient. I have to work harder to be more kind. No, no, no. That is not how fruit works, okay? So as we are more and more filled with the Holy Spirit, as we are more and more dependent on the Holy Spirit, seeking his leadership, seeking his direction in our life, Producing that fruit happens all on its own. Okay, so like I said, Holy Spirit is a person. He speaks, he leads, he can be grieved, he thinks. We should never refer to Holy Spirit as an it because he's a person. Okay, so as a full member of the, of the Holy Trinity, the three in one, Holy Spirit has existed co-eternally with both the Father and the Son. We see it in Genesis. Holy Spirit was right there at the beginning of creation. In Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and the darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So he's right there, right at the beginning. All throughout the Old Testament, there's Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit empowered certain people at certain times for certain tasks, right? Here's a few examples. The Spirit anointed Bezalel for artistic work. The Spirit anointed Gideon to be a leader. The Spirit anointed Saul. The Spirit anointed David. The Spirit anointed Isaiah. Even the prophet Micah, Micah 3.8 says in his book, but as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. But so all throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies indicating that one day, one day, God would pour forth his Spirit 
upon all believers. So here are a couple of those prophecies. The first one you heard read already, but I'll read it again. It's Joel 2, 28 and 29. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, another Old Testament prophecy says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And so then after 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New, John the Baptist came prophesying that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. So Mark 1, 7 and 8 says, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this scene is the first time this phrase, baptize with the Holy Spirit, is the first time this appears in Scripture. So let me talk about that. So this word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, B-A-P-T-I-Z-O in English, baptizo, which means to immerse, to plunge, to overwhelm, to drench. Okay, it was originally a nautical term used to describe sunken ships or even someone who might have drowned at sea. Jesus was first water baptized and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit before he began his ministry. And later, Jesus promised his disciples that he would come to live in them by the Holy Spirit. It's in Acts 1. Four through eight. It says, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people all about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the Father's promise was fulfilled initially on the day of Pentecost, right? Acts 2, 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And since Pentecost, believers have been being baptized in the Holy Spirit ever since. So what was the result? Okay, what was the result 
of people experiencing this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, we see it all throughout Acts, okay? First, there was powerful teaching and preaching. Acts 8, 4 through 8. It says, but believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So powerful teaching and preaching. There was explosive church growth, right? Especially when there were these power encounters between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, okay? Acts 2.41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Acts 4.4, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believe now totaled about 5,000. That's just the men. Okay, Acts 6.7, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. And then Acts 9.31, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So third, another result of people experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a sense of true, genuine fellowship. A depth of community and love for one another that they had never experienced before. That can only come from being a spirit-filled community. Okay, so in Acts 2, 42 to 47, right? Every spirit-filled Christian should be familiar with this passage. Um, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Another example, Acts 4, 32 and 35. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. True, genuine, spirit-filled community and fellowship. Because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Also, people experienced supernatural guidance, okay? Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. 
It says, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, too, resulted in signs and wonders and miracles. Okay, Acts 5.12. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Okay, baptism of the Holy Spirit resulted in healing the sick, casting out of demons, raising the dead, seeing the lost saved, speaking in a new prayer language, tongues, prophecy. Sometimes it, it's receiving direct supernatural guidance through dreams, through visions, and words from the Lord. Or prayer meetings that are marked by this deep sense of unity and the supernatural. We'll get into like the details, the practical nuts and bolts of a lot of these things next week. Okay, so that's like a super quick overview of who the Holy Spirit is. So you may already know this, but the Holy Spirit can be controversial in churches. Okay, there's definitely a spectrum out there. All right, on one side of the spectrum are primarily evangelical churches that either are cessationist in their beliefs, meaning they believe that these more miraculous gifts like prophecy, healing, tongues, those kinds of things have ceased because those gifts, in their argument, is those gifts were utilized by the apostles for the formation of the early church. Or on the other end of the spectrum, um, there are charismatic excesses and abuses. And so people want to avoid all that. Right? On, the, uh, on this other side of the spectrum, there are um, those who have literally transcended the boundaries of Scripture and have made Holy Spirit ministry their everything, almost an idol. And that's when we hear of such charismatic excesses as, and abuses, really, of people... Um, and these are real examples. I didn't make these up. Uh, people barking like dogs and uh, prophets abusing their authority in sinful ways. So while recognizing that there is, there is a history of charismatic excesses and abuses, we as Life Church do not want to throw the baby out with the bathwater right? We, we are not satisfied to be a church that does not invite, welcome, embrace, and is led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? We want that. We absolutely want the Holy Spirit here, okay? But he, I think there are a few keys that, that are important, all right? The first is this. Everything we do, top to bottom, left to right, it has to be grounded on the word of God. Okay? I believe in the authority of scripture. I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. I believe in the sufficiency of scripture. 
And I'm sure at some point, like, I'll put together some kind of, like, discipleship class on how to read the Bible and uh, unpack what those things mean. If you don't know what they mean, we'll get to that. But my point is, everything we do, even Holy Spirit ministry, must be in alignment with God's Word. Okay? Another key to avoiding charismatic excesses and abuse is authenticity. Okay? We have to agree that we are not going to hype anything up. We are not going to pretend that something's there that isn't. We want to be a church that is naturally supernatural. Okay? We are open to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do or say or however he wants to lead us but we're not going to hype anything. We're not going to pretend that he's doing something just because we're insecure. Okay? Better to be honest and say, okay, uh, I guess Holy Spirit's done for today. Let's go have lunch. Right? Okay. Another key to avoiding charismatic excesses and abuses is humility. Okay, we all have gifts that are equally important in the body of Christ. If you get a word from the Lord, if you have a prayer language, tongues, or the Lord answered your prayer for healing, we need to remember, it is not about us. Okay? We must continue to point to Jesus, who is the hope of the world. Okay? It is not about us, it is about him. And if we ever forget that, and we start thinking that we're all that, right? Just remember, God made a donkey talk. (laughs) Right? If I start thinking I'm all that because I'm the preacher, it can use a donkey, right? Right? It's not about us, it's about him. Okay, humility. All right, so... All throughout Acts, we see people being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming on them, the Holy Spirit being poured on them, the Holy Spirit falling on them, and believers receiving the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people refer to this as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they'll refer to it as the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The label isn't the issue. Being filled with the Spirit is the issue. Okay? You can call it whatever you want. You can call it baptized. You can call it empowered. You can call it filled, overwhelmed, zapped, busted, whatever you want to call it. All right? The question is, have you been immersed in the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit fallen on you? Paul says in Ephesians 5.18... Be filled with the Spirit. And if you look at the original Greek here, it is in the present imperative tense, meaning that it is a continuous replenishment, right? You could say, go on being filled over and over and over and over again with the Holy Spirit. That's that's the thrust of that little phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we leak, right? 
Some of you may be familiar with this analogy. If you have uh, one of those old gas boilers in your home, the pilot lights on, hopefully, all the time. But the boiler is not always giving out heat and power, right? Or if you have a gas stove, again, the pilot light remains on, but it isn't until the gas is turned on that it really starts heating up. Some of us only have the pilot light of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay? But as we continue to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, we discover more effectiveness, more power in our ministry, in our service, in our testimony, in our walk with the Lord. Okay? So what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit? I like to kind of cover the bases. Because if I don't cover these and then you experience it, you're like, why didn't you tell me this happened? All right? Sometimes we feel a warmth. Our breathing might get heavier. Okay? Sometimes we may shake or tremble. It may be an overwhelming experience of God's love and his grace for us, or it may be something more intimate. Okay? There may be no visible signs, or you might fall over. Okay? I've been in several settings over the years as a pastor, um, usually conferences, um, where literally I'm the guy, I'm one of the guys running around catching people who are falling over so they don't get hurt. Right? I asked someone once, like, why, why does that happen? And I thought they gave me a good explanation. They said, God is infinitely powerful. Right? So when little me touches Almighty God, sometimes it's like sticking my finger in a light socket. Right? And I know that can be overwhelming and wonderful. And sometimes, like I said, there, there may be no visible evidence that Holy Spirit is doing anything. But when you talk to the person afterwards, it is evident that the Holy Spirit was ministering to them, was filling them. Okay? So it's not our place to judge. It's our place to be faithful and pray for others to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, now just a word of caution. I know... Uh, this may be controversial to some of you. I know I brought this up in the interview process, so some of you know this. Um, but I think it's important for us to be on the same page with this. The typical Pentecostal understanding is that speaking in tongues, i.e. having a prayer language, is the evidence of the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some would argue that you are not filled until you have evidence that by speaking in tongues. Right? I'm always just going to go there. Right? I'm not beating around the bush. So while tongues can be a beautiful gift, and I will talk about this more next week, I would argue that it is one of the gifts, but not necessarily the sign that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. I have known plenty of Spirit-filled believers even pastors who have not evidenced this gift. So one example, I had a pastor mentoring me uh, when I was much younger on this Holy Spirit stuff. 
This guy was extremely prophetic. I mean, we would go, we would take a team of people led by him out of town um, and go to different churches and we would do these trainings and he would literally stand up in front of a room of complete strangers and just start reading their mail. Like, you sir, back there in the red shirt, you've been praying about such and such, well, God says yada, yada, yada. And you miss back there in, in the blue, You've been praying about this, and God says, yeah, I mean, and you would just start seeing, like, wailing, like, crying. And it's like, it's like just, just reading people's mail all over. It's so encouraging and edifying. As far as I can, I remember, never once did I hear him speak in tongues. Probably 40%, I was thinking about this, probably about 40% of the pastors I've served with, all spirit-filled, have not spoken in tongues. But there was plenty of other evidence that they were spirit-filled, many of the things that I've already listed. So just like we can cause, I, I say this for a reason, um, there's always a heart of compassion and love behind these things. Just like we can cause a lot of damage telling people that they didn't get healed because they didn't have enough faith. You ever hear that? That's, that's damaging. Like that's spiritual abuse, Okay. We'll get into that. In a couple weeks, we'll be talking about healing, okay? We can hurt people by telling them they didn't receive the Holy Spirit because they haven't yet spoken in tongues. We don't want to do that. It's a beautiful gift. I have experienced that gift, um, but I actually have found that I prefer to sing in tongues, um, which I don't know too many people who do that, but that's what the Holy Spirit has done with me. Yeah, we got another Roger back there. He, he does that too. All right. So one of the things we as finite human beings tend to do, this is just kind of a general observation. One of the things we as finite human beings tend to do is we see God do something new and then we try to turn it into a formula. Okay. Well, this is the way it worked before. Because that's the way we saw God do it before. And essentially what we're saying is, um, okay, I got the pattern, God. I'll take it from here. Right? But three trillion years from now, in heaven, God will still be surprising us. Okay? That is why living in dependency on the Holy Spirit is so important. So he can continue to show us, he can continue to guide us, he can continue to empower us to do what he wants us to do. Okay? So, in a bit here, I'm going to pray, and you are going to have the opportunity to come forward and be filled or refilled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Whether... You're coming up to be filled for the first time or it is your hundredth time. You can just come up and tell a prayer team member, I would like to receive more of the Holy Spirit. And then just relax and let them pray for you to receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Everything I have said this morning is just a bunch of hot air and means nothing until you actually experience the Holy Spirit for yourself. 
The Father wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You just have to ask. Right? Luke 11, 11 to 13. I didn't give this to the slide, people. But it says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay? Like, as I prayed about this morning, I was not visualizing like maybe three, four, five people up here getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I was envisioning like 90% of you up here. It's probably not a coincidence that it's family Sunday. So like, you don't have to go get your kids. You can just come forward. And I've already given the elders a heads up. I've given the pastors a heads up. I'm like, if you see like every prayer team member is praying for somebody, you get up here and you, you know, be ready to start praying. Because we all need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay? It takes courage to be vulnerable and to step forward and have someone pray for you. And actually, I think it takes more courage to do that than it does to actually pray for people. All right, let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come inhabit your people. Make your presence known and be glorified in our midst. Holy Spirit, draw these people to yourself and to Jesus. Fill them to overflowing. Remind them of how much you love them, God. Help them to bear your fruit. God, empower them with supernatural power from above to do your kingdom works. I pray in Jesus' name.